821. That'll teach me to go to bed early. Argonauts won the Grey Cup last night. The 109th outing for the Grey Cup. It was a 24-23 to victory over the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And actually, when we did the morning brief this morning at 6.20, I asked Scott Reed, because I know he's a betting guy, if he had money on the game. And he did. And he was betting on the Blue Bombers because they were the favorites. And as it turns out, if you had bet on the Argonauts, you'd be in much better stead. So the first charter challenge is being launched to challenge Ontario's new long-term care law. You'll remember the government rushed this one through in the summer months because it was going to be an unpopular piece of legislation. But advocates also insist that the most important priority right now is trying to free up hospital beds. And an easy means of doing that is breaking the old tradition of asking people to submit a list of their five chosen long-term care homes and then waiting for a spot to come up in one of those long-term care homes. Now, if they have a spot in a home that is some distance away from where you want to be, you can actually be forced to go there or you can be billed on a daily basis for the cost of your hospital bed. Natalie Mehra is the executive director of the Ontario Health Coalition. And actually, is it Natalie that we're going to here? Yes. Okay. Sorry. I had two names in front of me, possible uh, people who were going to be appearing. Natalie, it's nice to have you. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Okay. So give me the guts of how this is going to be argued in the courts, because it's going to be a fairly tough test, I would think, because a judge will decide, no, the government has to ration health services. So this is within, you know, the realm of reasonable. What are you going to argue? You know, we think it's actually a pretty clear case. The charter rights protect equality rights for people. This law targets only one group of patients, the frail elderly. So elderly patients waiting for long-term care um, and strips them of their right to consent. Um, and that's fundamental. So the cornerstone of medicine is informed consent. Patients have the right to consent. In this legislation, they can assess a patient without their consent. They can fill in their application paperwork and share their personal health information with a whole array of long-term care companies and other um, healthcare companies without their consent. They can admit them into a long-term care home without their consent. And if they refuse to go, they're fined you know, $400 a day, which is of course impossible for people to pay. So that is discrimination against the elderly, and it's also a threat to their life because for many of the people there, they won't survive the move. Um, how soon does this challenge begin? And I'm guessing you're going to start by arguing in, in an Ontario court, and then it's going to end up in the Supreme Court. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll file with the Ontario um, Superior Court of Justice, and then, um, you know, we expect if we move as quickly as possible, it'll be heard within the year. And I can only anticipate what the government is going to argue, but they are going to say, listen, uh, it would be nice if you could go to a long-term care home of your choosing, but we don't have enough of them. Therefore, this is the only workable solution. Yeah. And, you know, we have argued for a very long time um, to push to expand public hospital capacity, but it's within the government's power to do that, and they've chosen not to do that. Um, so everything that they could do to deal with a hospital crisis, they haven't done, including any kind of massive recruitment effort to bring back staff who have 
retired, even withdrawing Bill um, 124, which uh, which is an anathema to healthcare workers who have risked their lives to the pandemic. They haven't. Uh, they could, if they wanted to, build fast track long term care homes. As you know, to give the for government credit, they have done uh, on four hospital sites over the last year. It took about a year and a half to get them built and open. They have not done that. Uh, so, you know, the solution is not to railroad over the rights of the frail elderly to move them to places far away from their loved ones, you know, to die alone in the last months of their life. That is not acceptable and it's not a solution. Thank you very much for this. Good luck. Thank you. Natalie Mera is executive director of the Ontario Health Coalition. So this is going to be quite the wind-up for the inquiry, the judicial inquiry, into the declaration of the Emergencies Act, because having heard from, you know, witnesses who talked about what it was like to live in downtown Ottawa during this, and actually it wasn't just, we, we obsess over the convoy protesters who locked down Ottawa, but then there were, I think, four border points that were also being shut down, and that has been cited numerous times as one of the prime motivations for invoking the Emergencies Act. But we heard from people who testified what life was like. We have heard from some of the actual protesters. We've heard from heads of uh, various police departments and intelligence agencies. This week, it's going to be cabinet ministers, and then ultimately on Friday, Justin Trudeau. So Emergency Preparedness Minister Bill Blair is going to be on the stand. Dominic LeBlanc, who's the Intergovernmental Affairs Minister. Anita Nand, the Defence Minister. Omar Algabra, the Transportation Minister. Christia Freeland, Finance Minister, Deputy PM. And then Justin Trudeau. Earlier this morning, we were talking with Scott Reed on the morning brief, which happens at 6.20. And he gave us some insight about how you prepare somebody for this kind of testimony. And bear in mind, he used to work for a prime minister. If you're wise, you do a couple of mock interviews. Uh, you do a couple of mock appearances. You try to recreate the conditions, uh, relatively speaking. Treat it like debate prep is what you do. You try to generally recreate the, uh, the situation, put them into a circumstance where they'll feel relatively familiar with their surroundings when it's happening for real. You put at least as tough a set of questions to them as they know that you're going to get um, when the event itself is live. And, um, and you test their soft spots. In addition to that, you have other sort of, you know, what I would call tabletop meetings where you talk about, you know, how you want to manage your tone, what you want to make as a point of emphasis, uh, what issues you'd rather talk about more, what issues you'd rather talk about less. So for sure, if you're doing this well, you're going through all of that work. And then there's how Justin Trudeau prepares, which is he probably goes through most of that kind of stuff, but he likes things a little bit more loosey-goosey, it would seem. Um, now, I will say that based on my experience, Justin Trudeau also does debate prep differently than any leader I've ever worked with, um, much less structured. And he's generally performed well in debates. So, you know, it'll be interesting. I have no idea how he prepared for it. I know how my old boss prepared for it. I know how I think most leaders would prepare for it. Not positive. I know how Justin Trudeau would prepare for it. One prediction I will make is that he'll probably do something that he has done in leaders' debates in the past, which is to kind of prepare a party piece. And at least three times during your average leaders' debate, Justin Trudeau goes into this mode of something that was probably even scripted, but certainly it was mapped out ahead of time. And it's usually his central message. And 
you know, the one time I remember that most stood out was the leaders debate, I think in 2015. And it was at Roy Thompson Hall. And remember, it was the people who do the monk debate set up the leaders debate. And at one point, Jack Layton brought up Pierre Elliott Trudeau. And it was in, in reference, it was not a particularly important reference, but Justin Trudeau all of a sudden launches into this rant about how proud he is of his father and his father's legacy and on and on. It was so clear it had been prepared and he was waiting for somebody to attack his father. Nobody was attacking his father. So then he just pretended that somebody had attacked his father. But it became one of those takeaway moments that people actually, that night was the night that an awful lot of people said, okay, wait a second, uh, he could win this thing. It's 8.30. Let's get to the half hour headlines and Jess Kieran Cooner is here. Good morning.